Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. God speaks to His people, but He also speaks through His people to the world. I'm entitling my message today, Exiled Ambassadors. You see, when it comes to the book of Daniel, there is more than meets the eye. In fact, you really wouldn't be able to see it unless you were sitting in some class somewhere, at some seminary somewhere, but I wanna break down Daniel's linguistic genius just for a moment. You see, the book of Daniel was written in two languages. In fact, it's the only book in the entire Bible written in two languages. And the breakdown looks like this. In chapter one, it's written in Hebrew. Now, Hebrew was the native tongue of Daniel, the native language of the people of God. And then in chapters two through six, there's a shift to Aramaic. Aramaic was the common language of the Babylonian empire. It was the lingua franca of the time, kind of like Greek was for the Roman empire or like English is today. And then in chapters seven through 12, Daniel goes back to Hebrew again. Now, this was not an accident. There is a story within a story. The God of Israel loves to speak to his people, but he also loves to speak through his people to the world. This Aramaic shift in the text indicates that God has something he wants to say to Babylon. And so today's text, as we enter into chapter two, begins the first half of Daniel, written in Aramaic, characterized by visions and dreams given to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is really interesting. You see, typically when God speaks, he speaks directly to his prophets. But in this section of Daniel, he is speaking directly to a pagan. Daniel is not the recipient of the word. It's not for him. But he is the interpreter of the word. Listen, when God saves us, he sends us as exiled ambassadors called to co-labor with him in a foreign land. This is how God's people have always lived throughout redemptive history. This was true for Daniel. This is true for you and I. And this is the way. Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 to 30. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As he stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. 
Just tell me the dream and what it means. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I would change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him that uh, all that happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what happened, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from J Judah who, you, who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what, had, what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Chapter two reminds me of that old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty. Y'all remember it. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. What a sad, morbid story. Yet here in chapter two, 
King Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream and all the wise men of Babylon couldn't interpret that dream, except Nebuchadnezzar had something Humpty didn't have. He had a man of God by the name of Daniel, an exile from Jerusalem who was enabled to interpret his dreams. Now, the story of chapter two unfolds something like this. Number one, if you're taking notes, Nebuchadnezzar's disturbing dream. Number two, Babylon's fraudulent wisdom. And finally, we'll finish with number three, Daniel's interpretation from God to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. Let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You see, three years have gone by since the events of chapter one. Daniel and his boys have been exiled in Babylon, excelling in the University of Babylon. And one day, chapter two opens up with a literal nightmare. You see, the king had become so frazzled by one of his dreams. Uh, Verse one describes the king as troubled in his spirit and unable to sleep. Uh, This was no ordinary dream. It was vivid, uh, detailed, memorable, reoccurring. It was a terrible dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams? Have you ever had one of those dreams birthed in your subconscious, seared in your conscience, so aware of every single detail that you're convinced Somebody is trying to tell you something. For King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream was somebody trying to tell him something. It was a dream from the throne room of God himself. Now, I want to pause here and just make three observations in regards to God's communication with the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're taking notes, the first observation is this. God doesn't need outside help to get somebody's attention. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't need outside help to get someone's attention. You see, with no knowledge of God, no desire for God, God was still able to capture Nebuchadnezzar's attention and cause Nebuchadnezzar to seek him out whether he knew it or not. I want you to think about this. Even before Daniel arrives on the scene, God is already there. I'm going to say that again. Even before Daniel arrives on the scene, God is already there, humbling the heart, penetrating the heart, preparing the heart before Daniel ever says a word. And I want to by way of practicality, suggest something to you right now. I believe there might be people in your life right now, in this season, that God has already been dealing with, God has already been speaking to, and they're just waiting for an exiled ambassador to come into their lives and reveal who it is that's trying to get their attention. You see, God doesn't need outside help to get someone's attention. And there just might be someone in your life right now that God is already dealing with before you're even there. God speaks to his people 
but he also speaks through his people. Observation number two, there's nobody too high or too far out of reach for God. I got to repeat this one again. There is nobody too high and too far out of reach for the hand of God. This is a word maybe for somebody who's watching right now. Stop holding back because you are intimidated. Uh, Stop holding back out of intimidation, insecurity, or assumption, right? Uh, In this text, we have the most powerful man in the world and quite possibly the most pagan man in the world. And sometimes you and I, we can get caught up looking at somebody's wealth or their career or their prestige. We can get caught up looking at their Instagram and we can reason to ourselves, they don't need God or they don't want God or they wouldn't listen to God. Yet little do we know, deep down in their secret hearts, there are unanswered questions. There are troubling disturbances. There are haunting fears that can only be addressed by an exiled ambassador co-laboring with God. Observation number one, God doesn't need any outside help to get someone's attention. Observation number two, there's nobody too high, too lofty, too prestigious, too far away, too atheist, too agnostic, too angry that God can't reach. And finally, number three, God will disrupt and disturb a heart to get its attention. God will disrupt and disturb a heart to get its attention. Don't get it twisted. Just because God is good doesn't mean he won't trouble someone's spirit in order to reveal himself to them. I think, hear me out now, it's time for some of us to start praying different prayers. Let me explain what I mean by that. Instead of you praying, Lord, bless them, keep them, secure them, maybe you should start praying, Lord, disturb them, disrupt them, trouble them, and keep them awake at night until an exiled ambassador enters into their lives and begins to reveal what they are missing. Some of us might be a little too pansy for those kind of prayers. Those are old school church mama prayers. Like, bless my son, God, and and if he takes another puff from that joint, may he throw up the smell of alcohol. May he go into the hospital. May he be sent to jail. I Honestly, sometimes we can think, man, those are terrible prayers, but God, though he is good, is not afraid to disturb someone in order to get their attention. Maybe you should start praying instead of bless them, Lord, disturb them, keep them awake. Babylon's fraudulent wisdom. You see, the king had a disturbing dream and consumed by this dream uh, uh, and what it could mean for him and what it could mean for his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar summons Babylon's finest. Verse 2 introduces us to them and describes them as like a team of specialists. This was the king's cabinet, the king's 
courts. Uh, They were professional spiritualists trained in the arts of astrology, magic. They were mediums and dream interpreters. They were the spiritualists of the time. They were the amalgamation of Babylonian wisdom put together in one advisory council to the king. As I was reading this particular portion of the text and closing my eyes and wondering about the magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans and all of these different spiritualists and academics coming in to interpret this dream, it kind of reminded me of Oprah. (laughs) Have y'all ever watched like her super soul Sunday, right? Uh, uh, Y'all ever seen those? Some of y'all might be like, no, I really love those. Uh, I forgive, forgive me now, but I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things about it. You know, whenever you watch a Super Soul Sunday that Oprah has put together, she loves to feature some of the culture's kind of favorite spiritualists, right? She invites in and, and they sit and pontificate about the audience's questions regarding spirituality and uh, they refer to God as like an energy, right? God as the universe, God in all things, like you and I are God. God is our own divine self. Listen, as spiritually enlightened as they claim to be, this is nothing new. Babylon has always sought to elevate itself to the status of God, and it always will. I want you to think about some of the New Age spirituality that's being passed off as truth in our culture today. Usually, it involves people trying to be God themselves. It's just a form of humanism. Babylon has always sought to elevate itself to the status of God, and it always will. But this fraudulent wisdom would be ultimately exposed in the story when the king demanded that these spiritual specialists would not only interpret the dream, but that they would demonstrate the full contents of the dream before he ever gave them an explanation. I mean, this was humanly impossible and and no promise of riches or no threats of death could empower this, these gurus, these spiritual uh, specialists, no uh, uh, bribery could empower them and no threat could empower them to accomplish what was simply humanly impossible to accomplish. In fact, we see in verses 10 and 11, by their own admission, it simply can't be done. They said this, no man on earth No one can show it to the king except the gods. In other words, we're too finite. Uh, We are limited. What is claimed to be divine in Babylon is really only human in nature. Uh, We are not all knowing. We are not all seeing. We are not all powerful. We are not sovereign and in control. In other words, we can't save ourselves. And as much as we want to try to make ourselves God, we are not God. As spiritually woke as they claim to be, as well-spoken and articulate as they may sound, what we truly need, Babylon can't deliver. 
What we truly need, Babylonian spirituality can't deliver. What we really need, Babylonian wisdom cannot deliver. You see, we need a divine intervention that can save and satisfy the soul. Otherwise, we'll end up like King Nebuchadnezzar, empty, furious, more angry than ever before because the fraudulent wisdom of Babylon has been exposed. Finally, Daniel's interpretation. Who could the king turn to for wisdom and revelation? His smartest and brightest, his most spiritually in tune, had said that this was impossible for them to do. Who could stop the king from wandering and who could stop the king in his anxiety? I love this, right? Who could give the king the divine revelation that he needed? Not the wise men from Babylon, but according to verse 25, here it is, an exile from Jerusalem a teenager who had just lost it all, a stranger in a foreign land, a slave standing before a king, an exiled ambassador co-laboring with God in a foreign land. I want you to take note. Daniel, facing death, did five things. Daniel, the exiled ambassador, coming before the most powerful man in the world, facing death if he could not get this dream right, did five things. Number one, he trusted God. He trusted God. It's that simple. What do I mean by that? Before Daniel in the story ever had an idea of the contents of the king's dream, he made an appointment to go see the king. I mean, this is incredible. Now, I know there was a threat of death looming, but I want you to think about it. Even with that threat of death, the Babylonians were honest about it. This was an impossible task. But faith in God emboldened Daniel to act. Why? Because he knew his source was more credible than theirs. He made the appointment with the king because he trusted that God would reveal the dream. Number one, Daniel trusted God. Number two, I love this. He asked for help. He trusted God, and then he asked for help. What do I mean by that? Daniel wasn't alone in this story. So what did he do? He activated the power of his community. He activated the power of his community. He looked to his local church. He spoke up in his connect. He opened up to his small group and his three brothers who had been holding him accountable while living in Babylon began to petition the Lord in prayer. He told his boys, I'm going before the king to interpret a dream, and I need you to pray. Number one, he trusted God. Number two, he asked for help. And then number three, they petitioned the Lord. They prayed. Unlike the Babylonians, Daniel and his boys knew that they could not save themselves. And so if Daniel was going to discern and interpret this dream, he was going to need help 
from another source. God speaks to his people, but he also speaks through his people to the world. Number four, he praised. Daniel must have stopped when he received this dream and vision and God began to download to Daniel the interpretation. He must have got up out of his bed and began to do a praise break. Can you imagine the joy that Daniel felt when the Lord revealed to him what to tell King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, I love the fact that Daniel praised God for his wisdom and his revelation. Daniel gave all glory to God. I mean, could you imagine you're going before the most powerful man in the world. And guess what? Daniel could have went before him and took all the credit for himself and received all the glory for himself. But when Daniel was given the revelation from God, Daniel praised the source of this revelation, God himself. I love this. I believe in this moment when he received the revelation from God and began to praise, I believe in this moment he also began to praise God because there was a revelation of why he was in Babylonian captivity. Can you imagine? He had lost everything. It had already been three years. And in this moment, I believe God was revealing to Daniel why he was exiled in the first place. God has brought Daniel to the kingdom of Babylon so that he could reveal the kingdom of God. Why am I here, God? I've been here for two and a half years. I lost my family. I lost my house. I've been exiled. I lost my homeland. Friends that I knew have died. Why, God? Why am I here? The theological question always speaks to a practical question. The word of God will answer, and that answer will cause you to move and go. Why am I here, God? And finally, in this chapter, in this moment, he worships God because not only did God save his life, but God revealed his purpose for exile. What was the purpose? God has brought Daniel to the kingdom of Babylon so that Daniel could reveal the kingdom of God. This is the purpose of an exiled ambassador. Finally, number five, Daniel interprets the dream. And in that interpretation, Daniel begins to reveal a kingdom collision. That's next week. I hope you stick around. That was just a commercial. This is going to be a two-parter. But in that interpretation, Daniel reveals a coming kingdom collision between man and God. Finally, I want to finish today by sharing with you Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is the exiled ambassador. Jesus is our ultimate exiled ambassador. He is the greater Daniel. What do I mean by that? Exiled to a foreign land, Jesus left 
heaven to come down to earth, but he wasn't forced. Out of love for us, Jesus willfully exchanged the glories of heaven for the poverty of earth. Like Daniel, Jesus revealed the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of men. But unlike Daniel, he wasn't just the interpretation of that revelation. He was the embodiment of that revelation. And even though Daniel's interpretation saved Daniel's life, Jesus' revelation put him on the cross. I love this. Jesus didn't save himself. He gave himself on our behalf. Jesus is the exiled ambassador. He is the greater Daniel. Listen, I'm going to land the plane here. And now that he has saved us, he sends us. Now that he has saved you, he sends you. And out of love and loyalty to Christ, we're now called to follow in his footsteps as exiled ambassadors to a troubled and disturbed world. This is the way. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.